Hey there, welcome back to Great Quarter, guys. This is episode 72 of the show where the lines between freight and finance are none. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, and senior retail analyst here at Freight Waves. I'm alongside the lead economist, Anthony Smith. We're going to talk a little bit about some econ data that we have seen over the last few weeks. I had Anthony on about six weeks ago. We kind of gave what were the most important economic indicators to be watching over the next six weeks. And we talked about inflation. We talked about uh, some of the things in in freight, uh, freight demand and supply. We're going to touch on those a little bit. And we're going to have an excellent conversation with Mr. Bill Catania, the founder and CEO of OneRail. They are a last mile orchestration platform. And what we're seeing, at least from the Bank of America data and some of the government data, uh, is that the demand for durable goods, while remaining extremely strong compared to 2019, is beginning to wane as airline spending comes back, as grocery spend, I mean, as uh, restaurant spending continues to surge back. So we're going to see if that's trickling down into the last mile. Is Bill seeing any declining demand uh, in, in his service area and what they're delivering? So going to be great there. But we've also got a, a buy or sell. We've got a couple buy or sells. We've got some you care or NAS for you as well. And we've got a few charts of the week to go over. So let's start with our charts of the week. We have uh, Anthony Smith is actually going to lead us off. We've got three for you today, two from Sonar and one from Bank of America. Anthony, let's see what you got. So definitely starting off with our first one, we have our Sonar chart. Of course, we have our very own Van Outbound Tinder Volume Index here outlined in the blue and in the green we have our personal consumption expenditures on durable goods and so what we're seeing right now is a comparison between the two as we look throughout most parts of the economy that we've seen a lot of volumes driving through you've seen that it's been a lot of consumer side Mm -hmm. spending and so we can see what's going to happen kind of a little bit ahead of time so to speak um, with our day-to-day data or our recently near real-time data set compared to some of these monthly indicators that we see here in the green line, we have our personal consumption expenditures for durable goods, which is a monthly release. And so as you can see, some of the, one of the big items or major items that moves um, a lot of activity throughout the freight world, not too much of a surprise here. What we just kind of recently saw was a, a move downward in the volume. And so one of the things I'm going to be expecting or anticipating is some downward movement in this upcoming month, potentially or maybe not as uh, robust growth as we've been seeing overall with personal consumption expenditures. Now, when we were to back out of this, we saw that there was a monthly decline for overall consumer spending throughout the month, which makes a little bit more sense because we are coming off of some pretty um, you know, highs mm-hmm. from some of those consumer spending on especially the backs of stimulus checks. So not too much of a surprise. But still good to see that there is still overall, um, you know, activity going on for those consumers, especially on that durable goods side. Surely to kind of stick around for some time. Yeah, absolutely. Let's detail that in in a little bit more color here on uh, the chart that I'm coming from Bank of America. But I've got one from Sonar as well for you today. And what we're looking at here on my chart of the day is our uh, our imports by consignee um, data. So this is some of the coolest data I think that we have in Sonar because it gives you a look at how much and how many shipments um, certain importers are importing into the country on a 30-day basis. So right here, we're comparing Amazon and Walmart. Amazon is on the left, Walmart on the right. So obviously, Walmart is going to import more than Amazon. Their sales are still four or five times as much on the product side on a yearly basis as Amazon. So it makes sense that you would see uh, more than double the TEUs from Walmart than Amazon. But the interesting thing here, I think, is in how many shipments Walmart is able to do it in. So Walmart is importing double the amount of TEUs in fewer shipments than Amazon. And when I asked Henry Byers, our maritime 
uh, expert here at FreightWave why he thought this was. And he said he thinks it's mainly a risk thing. Amazon uh, spreads out its shipments over more, or it spreads out its TEUs over more shipments because, uh, you know, when they get imported in, the higher shipment volumes leads to more um, checks, more, uh, you know, things at customs and more and more problems for them getting goods into the country. So I just think it's interesting how big the TEU volume is on each shipment for Walmart and how agile uh, Amazon is here trying to bring in uh, fewer TEUs per shipment and doing them more regularly and more frequently. So interesting data. That is interesting. And it kind of plays into Amazon's whole thing of being agile and making sure that we have things in time and kind of spread out. So I mean, it's great to see it kind of visualized in this data set for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, that's true as well. It does build in the agility there. But one thing to note and available in that data, you can actually see what ports uh, the, the shipments and the TEUs are coming from. Nearly 80% of Amazon's TEUs and 80% of Amazon's shipments are coming through LA and Long Beach, whereas Walmart is much more spread out throughout the country. They've got four or five different ports that take in between 10 and 15%. It's just their geographical spread out of where their stores are, where their DCs are, much more on the East Coast uh, compared to Amazon. So just very interesting stuff to watch. We'll continue updating on that. Okay, last one here for you, chart of the day. This one is from Bank of America. We're diving into that durable goods demand and the services demand, how that is playing against each other. So you're looking at furniture in dark blue and airlines in light blue. Uh, you see that the furniture spending has been extremely elevated since really summer of last year, up between 40 and 60% year over year, or, or over 2019 rather. And it stays really strong. We've still got uh, a strong demand on furniture up 20, 30, 40% over 2019, but it is coming down and it seemingly has peaked. And we have uh, services spending, um, in this case, particularly airlines, are coming up you know, very quickly. People are getting vaccinated. They're going on vacations. Uh, we saw, I saw the TSA check, um, checkpoint data out of Atlanta this past weekend, had the first time they had hit over a million people uh, since the pandemic. So we're seeing people getting out uh, and, and, and traveling again. That is going to, going, it's going to put some hurt on, on durable goods demand, but I do think that the savings rate is high enough and the consumers are, there's so much pent up demand uh, for durable goods beyond furniture into other categories that freight demand is going to continue flowing and inventories are still low. So I don't think this has a, a huge impact on freight volumes just yet, uh, but it is definitely something to watch. I think you hit it nail right on the head there. I mean, that savings rate is still substantial with a lot of these consumers throughout the pandemic and anecdotal evidence. I did spend a little bit of time simply traveling the airs over this last weekend and it was absolutely packed. And you would have no idea other than everyone's wearing those federally mandated masks that we were just coming out of a pandemic if right. you were just kind of fast forwarding to this point here. And it was just absolutely packed. So it was good to see a lot more people returning to the skies and feeling more confident and in, in traveling throughout the country, things like that. But as you mentioned, that savings rate is there. So a lot of people who are, you know, just kind of been sitting and waiting uh, for that spinning or we're going to talk about consumer confidence a little bit later on to feel confident and that spending are really going to have some, you know, funds to have some fun with. Yeah, exactly. We've been sitting at home for a year, uh, you know, a lot of pent up demand for travel. I think the Airbnb CEO, uh, Brian Chesky, said he's seeing the biggest rebound in travel this country has seen in 100 years. Uh, so that is, is great for the broader economy. Let me take a moment to thank my sponsor. Uh, DDC FPO is the sponsor of this episode. It is brought to you by DDC FPO. DDC is a business process outsourcing provider that specializes in freight. Perhaps best known for freight billing, DDC recently launched IT outsourcing to help supply chain stakeholders hit development milestones without risking financial performance. Learn more at ddcfpo.com. All right, Anthony, let's hop into buy or sell quickly so we can get onto Mr. Catania. I did want to give an update. Uh, two weeks ago, we had Ethan Chernovsky on, and I asked him whether he was buying or selling Amazon, buying MGM. 
that ended up going through. Uh, he was correct on that. He was buying. Uh, they got it for a little bit cheaper than that original price. I think they finished on $8.45 billion. So Amazon gets access to 4,000 movies, a huge library uh, there. So exciting for Amazon. All right, this one, first buy or sell. We're not buying or selling whether it's happening because it is happening. Yeah. Walmart and Gap are teaming up to launch a new home brand together called Gap Home. It will debut with 400 pieces or so on Amazon, on, on Walmart.com and across many of the retailers' locations. So we're not buying or selling that. What we're buying or selling is a comment from the Gap CEO, Sonia Singal, on Mad Money the other night. She was explaining this. She said, we're excited about the scale of Walmart and the cool of Gap. Are you buying or selling that Gap is still cool or ever was? Um, so you're a music fan and aficionado. We've seen Gap kind of gain some cool points when we had the legendary Easy. Kanye yeah. West, Yeezy, enter the brand. Since then, I haven't seen that much of a push with Kanye West or the Yeezy brand or anything to do with Kanye West really to the forefront of what would make Gap cool. So with that, I'm not quite buying that Kanye West's coolness has seeped into the Gap enough to really make big enough impact for Walmart. I, I think that's a very good way to put it. I'm, I'm buying that this is a good partnership for Walmart. I think Walmart is trying to move up scale. They're taking a page out of Target's book here, um, partnering with an established brand and getting into you know, higher upmarket places. I think that's a great move. I'm not buying that Gap is cool. I think the, <laughs> I, I think the, the, the combo Gap Yeezy will be cool eventually, but we've heard very little of it. As you've said, uh, they've been very secretive. I think they did release like a, fi a first picture, first look the other day. But I'm not buying that it's cool. I like the move, but I just can't think that Gap is cool. Yeah, I mean, it might happen. It might happen. Kanye West can turn he things can do around. These, he can do these types if of things. If anyone can, I he mean, can. Kanye, Kanye West, when he sets his mind to something, you can like the guy or not like the guy, but he, he gets things done. Okay, uh, Amazon. We talked about this on FreightWaves Now this morning with John Kingston, but Amazon is mulling opening uh, physical pharmacy locations, either within existing Whole Foods locations or in Amazon Fresh stores or even standalone stores, as Business Insider reports. You buying or selling that Amazon might buy, open up some pharmacies? I'm buying. I mean, it's going to take, I think, some movements around, you know, government regulations whenever you kind of talk to anything about, you know, drug-related or healthcare, things like that. But if anyone can really kind of make healthcare a little bit more easier, expedited, con mm -hmm. convenient, right? they're going to bring that convenient factor to this whole market. And I think that's going to, they're not maybe going to take over the industry but maybe put their own mark on it and put some pressure on some segments that have been a little bit historically unmoved or unchanged for some time. Yeah, I mean, the pressure is visible. Within, like, within a couple hours of this being reported, you saw CVS, Walgreens, they all sold off very hard. Uh, their stocks, that is, uh, sold off very hard. So investors are weary of what Amazon does when they enter a market. They're uh, very good at it and surgical like it. I think it's a great idea, right? They're building, testing, and they're doing every type of supply chain innovation that you can imagine, from drones to autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles. Pharmaceuticals and, and pharmacy delivery is one of the best use cases for all testing those new technologies. So I think this is a great idea to expand there. And also, these pharmacy locations, they can double for returns. They yeah. can double for pickups. I mean, yeah. they can leverage these spaces in so many other ways that Walgreens and CVS and others can't. That mm -hmm. I just think it makes a lot of sense. So, Andrew, wild call, curveball question here. So we see Amazon always entering these new markets, leaving their mark on different segments. Is there a segment or is there an industry that you think Amazon has not touched yet that they're going to be a player in potentially? Um, I mean, I think pharmaceuticals is definitely one of them. Like yeah. they, they bought PillPack back in 2018. Everybody's kind of worried about that. Um, 
you know, I will say that there's there's some there's some segments that I see that would be very difficult for them to enter. So you know, things like um, things that Tractor Supply does, things that Home Depot does. These things are very difficult to replicate online, and they also have very loyal fan bases of people that go there. I think those two things, those two companies, are difficult to uh, Amazon. Um, but other than that. There's very few, you know, cars, big ticket items. Yeah. But even then, they're getting into um, into the pre-built houses now. You can you can buy, you know, one of those houses that you build in a, in a few hours off yeah. Amazon. So they will be able to get into anything they want. Whether it makes sense for them to do it, that will be a bigger question. I think building supplies and like and uh, farming supplies, those are two things where they'll have difficulty. I think that's a great point. Building supplies, and can you imagine? buying a house on Amazon and already being pre-wired and pre-installed to be an Amazon smart house. I don't know if we're there yet or if people will be a little bit too But you can paranoid. see where it makes sense for them, right? When it they're does. selling 15 different products that connect your home in many different ways, like that makes a lot of sense. Definitely. So I'm, I'm in, I like to move. Let's, uh, let's get past you, Karen. We'll do it at the end if we have time, but I do want to give uh, Bill as much time as we possibly can here. So let's bring in Mr. Bill Catania, the founder and CEO of OneRail. Bill, uh, you are not new to the FreightWaves audience. You've been on this show before. But for those in the audience that are hearing you for the first time, just briefly tell us what is Run OneRail and why did you start it? Yeah, thanks again for having me, uh, Andrew. So yeah, OneRail uh, is an orchestration platform. And what we do is we optimize the cost and the mode of logistics based on a number of different data-driven factors, you know, rates, capacity, uh, ultimately helping the shipper align their, their gross margin and the customer promise all into one, you know, very succinct uh, dispatch all the way through proof of delivery. So it's it's a, it's the complete end-to-end uh, -end value chain from the triggering of a delivery uh, from an ERP system or point of sale all the way through a customer uh, getting that proof of delivery. And we do that by aggregating right now over 250 uh, couriers across the United States, about seven and a half million drivers. Uh, so it's com complete end-to-end -end service. And are there certain segments that you specialize in? Are you guys bigger into heavy and bulky stuff? Are you uh, into you know smaller things? What are the uh, places that you specialize in? Yeah, so so it's really all over the board. You know, when I started this, we were actually uh, a big and bulky courier. We started out as a courier before we pivoted to become a platform, and so we understand that big and bulky space really well. But what we're finding is there's there's a lot of companies that have smaller you know parcel size deliveries. And they have just as much of a problem finding capacity, being able to hit um, and you know SLA compliance numbers of 95% or better, and being able to align the cost to those deliveries so that it makes sense to even offer delivery. And, and so I would actually say we're seeing more activity on the parcel side, less activity on the big and bulky side. Uh, and that's why right now we're really hyper-focused working with our customers and, uh, and new customers to shift some of their parcel volume into the final mile, that uh, final mile courier uh, mode. Um, with, with some of the issues in parcel, that seems to be one of the hottest topics right now. Yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to speak to you about was, you know, we saw peak surcharges again from FedEx last week. You know, we'll probably see uh, UPS follow in line with that. They've kind of moved in tandem over the last year uh, when implementing surcharges. And we've seen reports that FedEx's service and their capacity has fallen uh, behind. I think they were delivering like 85 or 87 percent on time compared to UPS, you know, which was up in the high 90s. Um, you know, as as we spoke about earlier, Anthony and I did with um, you know you, you said you're seeing parcel demand growing faster than big and bulky right now. Is that a is that a a function of people you know having difficulty sourcing parcel, or is that a function of you know the demand for heavy, big and bulky you know coming back down to earth after this crazy year we've had? You know, in our particular circumstance, I think it's a little bit of it's a little bit of parcel growth 
met with most shippers have contemplated they need to find a better way to fulfill delivery. Um, so I don't really think what we're seeing has to do with any retraction in big and bulky. I think it has more to do with utilization um, being kind of, uh, or capacity rather, being kind of capped out with the big parcel companies like UPS, FedEx, and DHL. They're capped out. You know, they're basically limiting how much uh, some of our customers anyway can ship. And what that's doing is it's forcing our customers to find alternate ways to have things shipped. So I'd say it's probably 50% uh, overutilization of, of the big parcel carriers. And it's 50%, you know, just the entropy or, or, or just the, the, the acceleration of e-commerce that really hasn't stopped. And Bill, how do you, you know, how do you guys go about sourcing capacity? You know, I, I spoke to, um, uh, I'm losing his name, uh, uh, Dick Metzler last weekend, or last week during Great Quarter Guys. He is the CEO of, uh, of Lone Star Overnight, which is a regional parcel carrier there in Texas and Oklahoma and into Arkansas. Yeah. You know, are you guys looking for more regional carriers? He said they only make up 5 to 7% of the market, so it doesn't seem like they're all that easy to find. How are you guys going and sourcing uh, capacity if it's not from UPS, FedEx, or the big guys? So there's a number of great regional parcel carriers. What OneRail is doing is aggregating those regional parcel carriers, and we've also aggregated couriers. So in our network are companies like DoorDash, Lyft, Postmates. Um, you know, we have companies like Epic One that's a small regional uh, and, and, and super regional um, courier. So imagine if you can put kind of the regional parcel carriers right next to 7 million courier drivers and be able to rate shop those all in one instance, all within seconds, to find the very best path to meet the SLA. So we're combining two, two modes that maybe never were contemplated before uh, and, and giving our customers the ability to rate shop and offload that, offload that volume where it can be handled at the right cost. So, Bill, you're, you're, you know, you're telling us about, of course, the importance of these, uh, you know, strategic partnerships and, you know, being able to help out, especially within those regions. But I can't help but imagine you're also seeing a lot of rapid growth internally as well. How have you guys been kind of um, facing that, that issue or has it been an issue finding additional uh, help or employment within your company? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, you know, OneRail had uh, nine team members in February of 2020 and we just exceeded 60 and we have 40 open wow. jobs. So, so we, you know, going from, from nine to a hundred um, in, in a year and a half is, is, is pretty fast growth. Um, you know, we've been really fortunate here in Orlando, Florida, you know, we're in a place, there's 7,000 people a day moving to Orlando. And so while we do support some roles, you know, that are offsite, we've had to become very, very focused on, you know, uh, put, we, we just went into a brand new office. It's a beautiful office. You know, I wouldn't say it's the level of Google or Facebook, but you do have, you know, all the food you probably can eat. I like to eat uh, and, and drinks, you know, ping pong, fun. You know, we've created a great environment where I think our team likes to come to work every day. And so we're also very aggressive at, at recruiting. Um, if we can't find it here in Orlando, we'll relocate people. And we've done that. We've, we've, we've relocated about 10 percent of our new hires. Um, and then, of course, we're willing to we're willing to, to support an, uh, a remote model. But, you know, you you probably have just hit on one of the biggest things I'm focused on, which is making sure we can keep scaling this team uh, so we can scale with our customers demand. Um, and on that note, you know, we we have seen sort of hyper growth within our own client base, which is mostly B2B to C or B2B. We're not doing a tremendous amount of consumer facing right now. We're doing a lot upstream 
you know, uh, warehouse to store, warehouse to warehouse, store to consumer, warehouse to store uh, is very popular. So that's really where we've seen a lot of our traction. Bill, I got to stop you. I mean, was that, was that part of the plan? Could you have imagined, uh, you know, 16 months ago, 14 months ago, that you are looking at 10xing your labor force over the next 18 months? Like, would that would I, would you have called me crazy if I told you you do that? You know, I think we expected it. Um, we knew that we had a really good model, um, but to see it actually happen, you know, as a startup guy, you know, you can put together Excel's all day long and models when they actually come, you know, come to fruition. It's pretty exciting. So I'm just happy that what we've projected is happening. And if anything, yeah, we probably didn't quite project this type of growth this quick, but it's just the tailwinds of e-commerce and, and the complete rewrite of this ecosystem. And Bill, one, one thing you just mentioned is that you're doing a lot of B2B or B2B to C, uh, and it seems to me you're doing a lot of you know, middle mile runs. Is that a function of um, increased ship from store and increased use of the stores that you guys are seeing more you know, middle mile demand? Yeah, it's a couple things. So one, you know, we're seeing a lot of, of thought put into uh, shippers that have their own fleet, how to, how to optimize that own fleet so that they're not staffing up for peaks. In other words, if one rail's sitting here with, with 7 million drivers, why do I have to have 10 trucks available at any one time? Maybe I only need two or three trucks. So it's that contemplation of downsizing, believe it or not, own fleet, making it more optimized uh, and leveraging uh, elastic capacity to provide a, ultimately a lower fulfillment cost. Um, that's really driving a lot of, of what we're seeing is that optimization and then, and then really realigning because we bring more courier types. We have sedans, trucks, box trucks. We have that ability to sort of right size the delivery. Um, and there's a lot of work that's going into matching the gross margin you know, of what's being sold to, to the right delivery fulfillment option and doing that kind of in an instant automated way. So those are the two things driving most everything we're doing right now. So, Bill, you're talking about these driving factors really going on right now. Are there any long-lasting trends that you're thinking are going to really kind of persist into next year or maybe, um, you know, three, five years from now? You know, I think when we look back on it, maybe, maybe this is a little bold, but I think COVID sort of broke the camel's back when it comes to the parcel space. Um, a very intelligent chief supply chain officer who's one of our advisors uh, told me, Bill, he said, it's like building a city for a million people. Uh, and then the next day, so you have enough roadways and, and you have enough plumbing and you have enough schools and churches to support a million people. But you wake up the next day and there's three million people. So what that does, it, you can't fix that overnight. FedEx and UPS can't fix themselves overnight. Um, they can just keep raising prices because that's what companies that strive to make a profit do, right? So you can optimize supply and demand. What that does is it opens an entirely new channel and we're just digging in as hard as we can. And I don't think it's going to go away because it'll ultimately make the market more fair, right? It's going to, it's going to bring, it's going to, it's going to democratize instead of two options. You know, there's essentially now a third option, which is this convergence of regional and, and courier. Bill, speaking of you know new methods and new entrants, there's this whole wave of retail coming online right now that's being driven by GoPuff. I mean, obviously it was driven originally by Amazon, but now there's you know smaller, uh, more nimble uh, competitors coming in, whether it's GoPuff or Gorillas or Joker. I mean, there's literally like two dozen of them that are going in this. Uh, you know, they're vertically integrated logistics providers that own small dark stores, uh, and they are trying to deliver you know three to five thousand SKUs within. 30 minutes, very fast. You know, what do you make of this new wave of retail and, and can one rail fit in and play into there? 
We think it's exciting. So, you know, as I mentioned, we're working with DoorDash today. They're a tremendous partner for us. We see those networks as having the same problems that any own fleet operator would. You never, ever, ever will master supply and demand balancing when it, when it comes to, you can't do it unilaterally. So to have elastic capacity, we like to see ourselves as a network that could bolster those types of networks. We also would utilize those networks when they're in a down cycle. There's a lot of seasonality to, you know, to different retail verticals. There's seasonality, or I'm sorry, there's peaks and troughs during a day. Um, so what OneRail does is it evens all that out. You know, it makes it so you don't have to be absolute because you'll never be perfect in capacity planning, um, understanding those ebbs and flows of time of year, time of week, time of month, time of day. Um, and we really are the normalizer. Yeah, that's very exciting, you know, being able to spread your spread out demand, not being able to use too much of it at one time. Bill, I want to uh, ask you about something that I was going to have as a you care or not. So you're going to play you care or not with us for a moment. Uh, and Anthony, you give me your thoughts on this as well. So I've seen a lot of very uh, fun and interesting marketing collaborations over the past year. We've seen Crocs has done a great job of it with KFC and with the Grateful Dead or, you know, there's been dozens uh, this one is not quite a collaboration, but a, a very timely marketing ploy that I like a lot. So Frank's Red Hot, uh, the hot sauce company, they have come out with a cookbook for the summer for a food that's going to be in plentiful supply. So Frank's Red Hot is releasing a 13-recipe digital cookbook with cicadas as the star dish of the book. Uh, Bill, uh, do you care or not about this cicada cookbook? Would you ever eat some uh, air-fried buffalo cicada wings? Well, for those that know me, I'm from near Buffalo, New York. I grew up near Buffalo. Actually, so did our CTO, David Dashler. Um, I don't want to speak for David. I can tell you I can drink the Red Hot just fine. I can actually drink it from a, a glass and probably enjoy it more than the cicada <laughs> <laughs> recipe being part of it. Um, I think I'll probably pass on that. I can get my protein a lot of different ways. Um, but I'll cheer anybody on that wants to try it. I'll tell you, that's that's pretty creative. <laughs> Absolutely. Anthony, what do you think? You care or not about this uh, cicada cookbook from Frank's Red Hot? As long as I'm not eating it, I don't care. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, can't, I can't get behind it for myself. You know, I live a pescatarian lifestyle. I didn't look into the, I don't know, the specifics of pescatarianism, what it means for insects. Well, whether it means for bugs or not. I yeah. don't know if I'll be within my bounds or not. But I, I'll have to pass on this. That's, that's what I was thinking. Actually, I thought if Dooner, you know, he's a vegetarian. We've got a couple of vegetarians in the office. If he would, uh, you know, d delve into uh, you know, insects. I, I actually have eaten termites before. I ate some termites when I was in Kenya and they were actually pretty delicious. I didn't mind them then. But cicadas are so big. Like, literally, these, you know, a different termites are, you know, itty bitty. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I could do a, uh, I don't know if I could do a cicada. All right, Bill. Uh, I may I, have to take a wait and see and you know, wait 17 years <laughs> yeah. and see how it goes this time. Yeah, that's that's the, that was the best thing I think in the in the article. The the opening statement says, "If you can't beat them, eat them." <laughs> <laughs> just just uh, just clever stuff. But all right, Bill, thank you so that's much. Awesome. I gotta I gotta wrap this up. Hey, where should everybody go to find more about OneRail? You can find more on our website, OneRail.io, and I uh, really appreciate you having me on the show. We we love freight waves and uh, appreciate all you're doing for the industry. Well, we appreciate that very much. We appreciate you as well, Bill. Thanks for taking the time and doing this. Thank you. Have a great week. You too. All right, so, uh, so no Frank's Red Hot Cicadas for no. you or Bill. Uh, that's a little bit unfortunate. But uh, So we didn't have time to get to the rest of our You Care or Nas. I'll just run them down real quick. We were going to talk about how the major metrics of consumer confidence are uh, have faltered a little bit in May. You Are you worried about that at all yet? Not too worried about it just yet, but it is something to keep an eye on because I think consumers are starting to see that 
hey, maybe inflation is kind of here. Yeah. And I think if that takes into a hold, we got something else to worry about. I, th right I, mean, I think almost, I'm getting, I'm starting to believe that this inflation might end up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. There's like, we have all these, we do have these supply chain issues right now that are pointing towards inflation. But, you know, I think structurally the, the inflationary pressures aren't as bad as what we're making them out to be right now. Uh, but we've got many months to watch that. We will be watching that very, very closely. Okay, that has been it for episode 72 of Great Quarter, guys. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or subscribe to FreightCast to get all of FreightWave stuff on one tidy feed. We'll see you next week. Thanks.